Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Baseball show is presented by BetMGM. We're going to give you an Omaha update. We've got Walker Bueller on to talk through Emmett Sheehan's major league debut, change-ups, and his experience in Omaha, Nebraska at what was TD Ameritrade is now Charles Schwab Field. See some awesome baseball there. Also, the greatness of Shohei Otani needs to be talked about just a little bit. But Peter Apple, per usual, this show brought to us by BetMGM. Brought to us by BetMGM. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses if you use promo code just baseball. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older to use BetMGM. It's a new week on the Just Baseball Show, and I'm excited to break down all of it with you, Jack. First things first, you're a noted robe guy now. You had a good weekend in Atlantic City, which is not something many people say. Unbelievable, and you're right. Um, BetMGM, they set us up in the Brigada. Had a really fun time. Um, I was able to appear on foul territory with Scott Braun and Todd Frazier and Eric Kratz. So that was a really fun time. I gave them a nerfy in Seattle and Washington, which smacked. But then I convinced Todd Frazier to take the over in the Guardians versus Diamondbacks game, which did not hit. But I tweeted out and I thought it was kind of funny. So I started at the casino. I'm a blackjack guy. I'm not really good at a lot of other games. I like poker, but... 
a lot of the other casino table games I just end up donating an entire fund to. But yeah. I like playing blackjack. I feel like I can win at blackjack. So I started with 500, right? And I'm losing. I'm with Colby Olson. I am our guy who hosts the Just Fantasy Baseball show. I am losing. It's like I win one, lose four. Win one, lose four. Dealers getting 21 all over the place, and I can't do nothing about it. I'm down to my last $25, Jack McMullen. And you know what I do? Why not us? Keep doubling down. Get all the way back to even. Even get a little bit above 500. Lose that. Get out with 500. Nobody talks about the fight to get back to even. It's all about, oh, look how much money I won. Or, oh my gosh, I got crushed. Nobody talks about the fight to get back to even. Props to me. No, real stick to and you enjoyed room service in a robe after that. Same time, I was at a dive bar in rural Michigan. And let me tell you, the Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine came on at a mm. dive bar. And I, I I tweeted this out. I said, initially, it feels like oil and water. You, you hear the, I don't know what instrument that is at the top, just the very, very light strumming of some sort of instrument and I'm like, this won't play, but it played, man. Let me tell you that. Now baseball in now baseball. Lance Lynn is him. Seven innings, sixteen punches. Although he lost against the Seattle yeah, no, Mariners. the the White Sox won that game, right? Seven they innings, lost. two earned, sixteen Ks. Unbelievable. They had to have won that game, right? Or at least kept it close. No, they it lost. Wasn't close. What what was the score? Uh, I don't five, know the final one? score. I just looked at Lynn's pitching line. That was it. Was it was it five one? Was it five one? It could have been five one. Well, yeah, the White Sox bullpen almost held it down for him. Shout out Bryce Miller getting the win. Who had a better <laughs> performance? Bryce Miller getting the win or Lance Lynn punching sixteen in seven innings? It's flashier, but who allowed less runs? <laughs> I mean, that's facts. the name of the game. Facts, honestly, facts. Yeah, man, I that was a uh, that was a tough go for the White Sox. That was very tungsten armo Doyle of of uh, of Lance Lynn. But moving to the NL East real quick, you said before we hit the record button, we got to talk about the Atlanta Braves. I'm with you, but we also have to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies, and we also have to talk about the Miami Marlins. At this point, from Codify. The Braves have won 13 of their last 15 games. The Phillies have won 13 of their last 15 games. The Marlins have won 12 of their last 15 games. These teams are on fire right now. Atlanta's won six in a row. Miami's won four in a row. Phillies won six in a row. Meanwhile, the Mets have dropped seven to 10. The New York Mets are 12 and a half games out of first place right now. The worst 12 and team, a half. The worst team that money can buy. Dude. I will say it again because it blows my mind every single time. The Mets pay more in taxes than the teams above them in the division have payrolls. Not the Phillies and the Braves, but no, the, the Marlins. Marlins. Yeah. The Mets meeting the Cardinals for a battle of suckage was just horrible baseball. It was both teams actively trying to lose. But I don't really I don't want to talk about the Mets. I want to talk about how the Braves... Have hit 16 home runs over 450 feet. Shout out Charlie Wicklife, too, on Twitter. He DM'd me, you have to talk about what the Braves just did to the Rockies this 
this weekend. I mean, the Braves have scored 66 of 71 first inning runs and have a total of 16 home runs over 450 feet. The next closest team is the Rockies in Coors Field. They're not just destroying baseballs. They're committing a genocide against them. Now, it's a little harsh. That's very harsh. Very language laden. Yeah. But I understand what he's talking about. I watched that series against the Bra- uh, again, the Braves facing the Rockies. Yeah. And even in the third game, because the Braves really dominated the first two games. But the Rockies went up 5-0. It's Chase Anderson. The Rockies were really getting to Charlie Morton. And I was like, all right, this is finally the game where the Rockies weirdly steal one. Nope. Braves win 14-6. to They get on you so fast. Eddie Rosario is coming to life. Orlando Arcias might be an all-star. We don't even have to mention the stars. We know what they do on a day-to-day basis. There's no breaks in this lineup now, Jack. Remember when Marcelo Zuno was a literal hole in the lineup? And he's still kind of a hole of a person? But he's hitting again. They don't stop. They don't even need their pitchers to pitch that well. Bryce Elder didn't even need to pitch that well. Charlie Morton didn't even need to pitch that well. They just keep rolling. But also, shout out the Phillies, because they're rolling to one of baseball's hottest teams. And the Marlins just keep winning. They absolutely own the Washington Nationals. They won the past five series, probably more than that. It's a really good division. It's a really good division. Atlanta, 12 homers in the four-game sweep at Colorado, 11 over the weekend. Matt Olson gave him gave A.J. Smith-Shaver one in his first big league win. Um, then you've got on Friday with three nukes. On Saturday, four nukes. On Sunday, four nukes. Uh, including Olsen going yard for his 20th time. And I saw the comparison of Matt Olsen to Adam Dunn, where like the numbers are very similar, super high K rate, super high walk rate, hits a ton of bombs. I, for some reason, and it could just be sign of the times. It could be because Olsen is a way better athlete than Adam Dunn was, but Olsen is far more accepted than Adam Dunn. And I personally love Matt Olsen. I liked Adam Dunn a lot, but I love, Matt Olson, I think this offense is freaking awesome. Now I ask you, how excited do you get when you know that the Braves at this very moment are going AJ Smith Shaver to Jared Schuster to uh what Bryce Elder to Charlie Morton, and then who are they gonna have throwing tomorrow? Um Atlanta has throwing tomorrow Strider. How did I forget Spencer Strider? Like, that's an interesting one. I'm a little worried about a very young Smith Shaver. I'm a lot of worried about Schuster, but this offense is going to carry them right now, man. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. We're in the June swoon, right? We're in just the middle months where your offense just has to show up and kind of anybody can win any ball game. But Max Fried is going to come back. Kyle Wright is going to come back at some point, and then they're going to win the division and they're going to be healthy. And they're going to make another run at the World Series. That's just what they do. Ron Acuna Jr. is just too damn good. Sean Murphy is too damn good. And just to answer that point about Matt Olson, like, yes, when you compare offensive numbers, Adam Dunn to Matt Olson, it almost kind of diminishes what Matt Olson does in a way because of what we remember from Adam Dunn. But what we remember from Adam Dunn is just the bat. Right, Matt Olson is such a better player because he wins gold gloves at first base on top of it. So if you're telling me I got a first baseman with Adam Dunn's bat and one of the best gloves in Major League Baseball, I mean, that's a top-of-the-line first baseman. 
Yeah. And I think the K's are going to come down. Like he's too good of a hitter to keep striking out at this rate. And but even if he doesn't, he's but still even so then, good. like they're just yeah. a part of his game, and I don't care because he's so yeah. good everywhere else. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about it. Like I think if we were to criticize them in any way, we'd just be splitting hairs here. They're the best team in the National League in my eyes. Yeah. Um, and Shohei Otani is the best player in baseball. Is that a shocker? Shohei Otani is on a 15 game hitting streak, which is the longest active hitting streak in major league baseball. I just want to run you through what he's done over this 15 gamer. He's homered in six of his last seven games. Uh, or he has six homers in his last seven games. He had a multi homer day sprinkled in there. They're pretty much all to left center. <laughs> They're like all going the other way. He hit one 460 to left center. I mean, what the fuck is that? And then like 450 the next day. And then like 455 yeah. the day after that. Shohei Otani during this 15-game hitting streak is slashing 446, 543, 1071. For those of you that don't want to do the quick addition, that's a 1614 OPS. In 15 games, he has 16 extra base hits, including nine homers. He's driven in 20. He's walked 13 times. He's struck out 11. And Peter, he's stolen three bases. Did you know that he's fast? I knew. You've told me a lot. I have told you a lot because it blows my mind every single time. It's probably contributed to the fact that the Angels in the month of June have the third highest slugging percentage of any team. I'm trying to find this tweet from Codify we got tagged under because people are really starting to like the bit of me telling you that he's fast because he is fast. Yeah. He's undoubtedly fast. Yeah. So MLB home run leaders with how many bases they've stolen. Shohei Otani leads Major League Baseball in home runs. 10 stolen bases. Pete Alonso, 22 bombs, two stolen bases. Matt Olson, 20 with one. Jorge Soler has one steal. Judge has three. Kajrobar has none. And Max Muncy has one. So... Shohei Otani has more stolen bases than one, two, three, four, five, six of the preceding home run leaders, too. And he pitches and hits and and is fast. Yeah, and is fast. Good. No, he man. blows my mind every day. Every day he blows my mind. It's inc- it's it's we couldn't talk more about him. Like all I see sometimes on social media is that you know people go after um, MLB content creators or social media places or media companies and be like, oh, you're meat riding Shohei too much. I mean, what what do you want us to say? He's the most talented baseball player we've ever seen in our lives. And we don't just say that lightly. He is literally the most talented baseball player, and we are just in awe of what he can do every day on a baseball field. Like, what else do we want to – do you want to talk about Paven Smith? We can. Like, listen, He's no, fucking right now. Yeah, but like no – listen, no offense to Paven Smith, but Otani is the story in Major League Baseball. LeBron was the story in the NBA. When people got pissed at Sports Center, it's because they were talking about the story in the National Basketball Association. You have to talk about the story. And Otani is the story. And this 15-game stretch with the numbers that I just rattled off, you could probably hold up next to any 15-game stretch that any player has ever put together in the history of baseball. He's OPSing 1,600 over 15 over 15 games. Unbelievable. And he's got a four ERA and two starts since then. And not even to mention just Shohei, but he's propelling the Angels, right? The Angels they're are in, in the playoff. wild card spot right they're now. They're in a wild they're, card spot. They've the surpa- season ended today, they're playing postseason baseball. And surpassed the Houston Astros, but damn, the Rangers just won't 
let up. They were down five nothing to the Blue Jays. I was like, all right, this is one that the Rangers drop. Nope. Double digit runs again. I keep saying this because it's almost it's not similar to the Shohei thing, but it just blows my mind how quickly they put up a five spot on you. Yeah. It's just like lightning quick, and then they're back in, and then they blow you out, and you're like, what the hell happened? It happens in a couple of minutes. Leody Tavares is just I mean, he, who the fuck is that? Respectfully, of course. I mean, we know who Leody Tavares is, but the reason I say it is is because he's in the nine hole. Like yeah. these guys are not supposed to be hitting 300. These guys are not supposed to be borderline all-stars hitting at the bottom of the lineup. Ezekiel Duran was traded for Joey Gallo. He was not even one of the Yankees' top prospects. The Yankees have about a million shortstop prospects. They're like, yeah, we can give you Ezekiel Duran. That looks stupid now. Ezekiel Duran is one of the, the better hitters in the American League this year. They've got they've got the best vibes in baseball. And I don't think it's close. Like there's something about everybody elevating everybody else. And that's what Texas is doing with Leody Tavares and with Ezekiel Duran. Like if Corey Seager is not hitting 360 right now, Ezekiel Duran might not be doing his thing. Tavares might not be doing his thing. Jonah Heim performing as well as he is, maybe elevating Josh Young. Hitting's contagious and they have the bug bad and they don't want to take any medication for it. Nathaniel Lowe, Adolis Garcia, and Josh Young get kind of thrown under the rug. Right. Because it's like, oh, look at how amazing the bottom of the lineup is. And then look at Corey Seager and Marcus Semi. Like that 3-4-5 could compete with any 3-4-5 in baseball too. Yes. One to nine, there's no breaks. And then they're still getting great pitching. And when Martin Perez pitches at home. <laughs> He's kind of goaded. Like, no, he isn't. But he is. I mean, kinda like, goated. no, he isn't. But he is. It's so annoying because you look at the peripherals and it's the classic Chad innings eater. He should retire, but he doesn't give a shit. Never before has a goat or him accepted a qualifying offer until yeah. Martin Perez. <laughs> yeah, the good goat him. accepted the qualifying offer. Um, all right, we're going to jump to Omaha. But first, quick word about so rare. Uh, they have changed the way that I personally play fantasy baseball. It is the perfect blend of fantasy and collecting digitally like digital collectibles it's super simple to compete directly against us go to sorare.com draft your team starting pitchers or a lever a handful of bats there are budget constraints you have x amount of like gems or diamonds each guy costs a certain bit the the highest value guys will be around 20 gems or 19 and then you can find the value there with five gem guys with six gem guys so build within the budget constraints Join our Just Baseball League. Beat the Just Baseball people yourself, whether it's me, whether it's Peter, whether it's Aram, anybody else. If you know ball better than we do, prove it to us. Again, SoRare.com, draft the best squad you can. Join our Just Baseball League in the episode description. You've got the chance to win Just Baseball merch. You've got the chance to win MLB TV subscriptions and a whole bunch of other goodies. Absolute no-brainer. You click the link and you play fantasy baseball for free with all of us. It's a very easy sell. And we got almost a thousand members now in the league. I think we're at 999. I think we're right on the brink there. Who's going to be a number of thousand? Who's going to be number a thousand? Come in and see if you can beat us because the way I'm playing fantasy baseball lately, you should be able to beat me. I can't pick anything. Yep. Uh, but it's right. so much fun and it's free. It's a no brainer. No brainer. Omaha. I've got two takeaways on LSU. I've got one on a game that we're going to watch later tonight. You've got three takeaways as well. You go first, I'll follow. We'll go one by one by one. 
by one by one, and then we'll get to Bueller. I just want to talk about the team that I don't feel like is getting enough attention in this College World Series, and they just keep on winning. I know they're one and one, so technically that sentence isn't exactly true. But the TCU Horn Frogs, yeah, they won eleven straight coming into Omaha. One of the hottest team coming into Omaha. They were beating Oral Roberts. They were beating them basically the entire game. Colby and I were watching that game while we were playing blackjack. I said, "Can you turn off golf, please?" Oral Roberts versus TCU was on. So we got to watch that whole game. I, Colby and I thought it was in the bag. We were like, all right, the Oral Roberts story was fun. This is where it comes to die. And then Oral Roberts hits that home run, and then it's 6-5. to five. And I'll talk about Oral Roberts in a second. But then TCU comes back and beats a really fucking good Virginia team. Like this TCU team, Braden Taylor, is going to be a top-of-the-line first-round talent. Trey Richardson had an 11-RBI game leading up. Yeah. They have they have a very good relievers. They have good starting pitching. They play as a team, one to nine. There's not many outs there. You know they're forty three and twenty three going into the season or not going into the season over this entire season. You know Carson Bowen, Cole Fontenelle, Anthony Silva. I mean these guys, they're just they roll. And like the reason I mentioned those guys is they all have higher batting averages than Braden Taylor. And Braden Taylor is going to be the first round guy. Just an exceptional, exceptional team that is going to continue to be a problem in Omaha. Yeah. Um, my first takeaway here, Dylan Cruz. I think people are obsessed with skeins, and I'm going to get to skeins here in a moment because I'm obsessed with skeins too. But Dylan Cruz is the best college baseball player in America. Dylan Cruz is hitting 542 in the NCAA tournament so far. He's 13 for 24 with five extra base hits and eight driven in. He's walked seven times. He's K'd twice in 24 ABs. Dylan Cruz is flawless. And I understand the, hey, let's talk about Skeens in the 1-1 breath because Skeens is that good. He is. Wyatt Lankford is proving that he's that good night after night. But Cruz is still a cut above everybody else. He is a cut above everybody else because Lankford and Cruz, in my opinion, I think their bats are relatively similar. I would still give a slight edge to Cruz, but... White Langford's back cannot be denied. Cruz is one of these guys who there is no holes in his game because he's an elite center fielder. We talk about the Pirates potentially underslotting, you know, Walker Jenkins or Max Clark with the number one overall pick. They are missing out on a fucking generational type player. On one I of these two, there's a, generational, on there's a generational hitter, there's a generational pitcher. And that's what I think is most important here because it, let's say if they underslot a high school bat, you are missing out on potentially one of the best college baseball pitching prospects we've ever seen and one of just the overall best college baseball prospects we have ever seen. We're not saying that lightly. Like these guys, you talk to draft analysts, the top end of this draft is one of the best in recent years. And these high school bats, it's nothing against them. It's just Dylan Cruz should be up by 2024. Yeah. Paul Skeens could pitch in Major League Baseball, I think, today. Okay. Okay, so you just took me immediately into my my second takeaway. Go ahead, then. So we're going to snake it. So I'm going to go, then you're going to go with two, and then I'll wrap us. Paul Skeens can get outs in the big league right now. Right now. Here's my take. What's the difference between Paul Skeens and Hunter Green right now? <laughs> I think Paul Skeens can produce in the same way that Hunter Green can right now. 
The only reason that you may view that as egregious is because Skeens is facing college kids and Hunter Green is facing big leaguers. Green has learned how to play the chess game of baseball a little bit more in pro ball. I think that's the key because yeah. Green had similar stuff, right? When he first came up, he was setting 100-mile-an-hour records. No, man. But he was I mean, getting hit around a little bit. Dude, Skeens, I, I'm not sure about like the shape numbers. Skeens had 100.7 with this fastball that looked like it was it's moving, taking off. Arm yeah. side run out the ass. That slider we know is awesome. 70 grade, maybe. The changeup looked fucking electric, too. I think that Paul Skeens could produce in a very similar way to that of Hunter Green right now. I can't say that. I get what you're saying because you watch him and he looks like a major league pitcher pitching to college guys. That's what it looks like. But I. Like we've, it's so tough because it's hard for me to say, well, we've seen college guys before, you know, go straight to the big leagues and they didn't pitch that well, but they weren't Paul Skeens. Garrett Crochet was not Paul Skeens. Who was that guy who debuted in the World Series for the Royals? Was that Finnegan? Finnegan. Brandon Finnegan. Brandon Finnegan. Like these guys were elite college arms and they held their own, but they weren't Paul Skeens. Can I just walk you through his K totals? I, I'm just going to run you through like his recent lines here. It's amazing. It's amazing. Here are his K totals throughout the entire year. 18 starts. I'm going to rattle off strikeout totals per start. 12, 11, 13, 12, 11, 12, 12, 8, 13, 11, 9, 15, 13, 12, 3 in three and two thirds. 12, 9, 12. Pitch count. I mean, dude, he threw 123 pitches on Saturday night. He threw 101 before that. He threw 124 in a complete game in the regional. And he's fine. Yeah, I don't know what to say because my brain, says shit. I, like, my brain says it's not possible for him to do so. But then I watch him and I'm like, shit, I, I, we, were, I mean, we were so floored when Peter Flaherty got on here at Baseball America and said that he thinks Skeens is the best pitching prospect in Strasburg, if not as good. And we were like, dude, that's a crazy claim. And then you watch him again. Like each time you're further convinced of that idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it is because you watch him, you know, he's in the SEC and he faces some good teams, but really watching him on the highest stage is the separator. And on the highest stage, I think he arguably turned in one of his best starts of the year. Right? Against, uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know how to argue with you. Like, I, He's faced 434 hitters. He's allowed 70 hits. He's got 200 Ks and 19 walks. He's striking out 15.7 guys per night. Take me yeah. to your next two takeaways. I'm not going to yeah. hear the opposing argument. Like, listen, I know it's an egregious yeah. take. I know it's outlandish, but I'm just asking you, he's going to start again in Omaha. Turn this start on and tell me you think Hunter Green is exponentially better. And it's, this isn't a conversation. That's I just the problem. It's a conversation. That's the problem is I think it's egregious, but I can't prove you wrong. I can't be like, no, it's a conversation. It's a conversation. And I think it's a fun one, which is crazy. But if we're, if we're meet riding more pitchers, Let's let's ride on down to Florida. Yeah. Because Brandon Sprout, we're talking about high velo. This dude is touching 101 miles an hour. 
again, against a good Virginia team. Like I know Virginia just got eliminated because of course they lost to Florida and then lost to TCU, but those were all one run games and being in a one run game with Florida is incredible. This Virginia team was fantastic. Pete Flaherty picked them to get past this side of the bracket. And I thought it was a great take because I thought they could do it. We had a future on them and unfortunately went away, but Brandon Sproat six and a third, five hits, one earned seven Ks, 101 miles an hour. Then the next game, it's like, all right, well, he's the ace who you guys got at number two for Florida. Brand or um Hurston Waldrop. I almost just said Brandon Brandon Sprout again. Hurston Waldrop in this game against Oral Roberts, because right now we are recording in the top of the eighth. Florida is winning five to three. Hurston Waldrop went six innings, seven hits, one earned, 12 strikeouts. He tied for second in Florida's history among pitchers. In Omaha, in strikeouts with 12. The only players to ever beat him were Jackson Coar and Brady Singer. Waldrop is one of these guys with just tantalizing stuff. It's a 3,300 RPM slider. It's a splitter or a split change thing that's below 1,000 RPMs. Like, to do that to hitters in college while... Striking out guys with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball with cut. And then the third starter is Jack Caglione, yeah. who's touching 99 from the left side and is also having 30 bombs. We talk about Wyatt Langford. He's had a couple home runs in Omaha that weren't home runs because they were barely foul balls, but he's still getting his. Curland, Rivera, BT Riapel, Caglione. I mean, watching these guys, it is so much fun. But I really wanted to talk about the pitching because I think pitching wins in Omaha. Everyone has good lineups. Everyone has five to six guys. We're all hitting 330. I think the way you win is with pitching. And Wake Forest has their work cut out for them because this Florida team is unfreaking believable. And if they hold on and beat Oral Roberts, which I think they will at this point because they do have just great back-end guys, too. They're going to sweep their way through this, and they can beat anybody. 51-15 and 15 over the regular season, and it's led by this stud starting pitching where you just get no breaks. Are you nervous about your wake pick, knowing that Florida is as geared up as they are? I mean, I'm set up nicely. Yeah, I, I know. Wake at plus 1,900. I got Stanford and Florida both at plus 1,100. I had Virginia plus 2,900 and LSU at plus 450. But if you had to pick a winner, like you picked a winner, and that was Wake Forest. My biggest was Wake. I have the most amount of units on Wake at plus 1,900. Well, on the pod last week, you picked Wake Forest. Wake over Florida. Yeah. Do you you still feel really good in that? No. I still feel good. Really good? No way I feel really good. I watch this Florida team, and it's like, well, I love Rhett Lauder. I think Rhett Lauder can honestly hang with Paul Skeens. That's how good of a pitcher I think Rhett Lauder is in the college space. But Sproke can hang with him, too. It's so good Waldrop. And yeah. they got two of them. Yeah. It's going to be tough. But Brock Wilkin hit a freaking thunderous yeah. home run in game one. I mean, they're, they're really good, too. This is just such entertaining college baseball. This is the most entertaining I think the College World Series has been 
in the last what half decade decade star studded there's yeah. so many good players it's so much fun yeah what's your last takeaway my last takeaway is just that Oral Roberts I think it's an incredible story like mm-hmm. They're just this Cinderella team in every sport, right? You're a college basketball guy. They were the Cinderella team in college basketball, right? Yeah. And no, go ahead. No, I, I guess like kind of different feel because this was a 50 win team heading into Omaha. You know what I mean? Yeah, but so, they're still coming from the summit. For right? sure. For sure. Like, it, yeah, it's not just some crap team that somehow sneaked into it, but I think it's the fact that they were a 50 win team coming out of the summit. Yeah. And they're hanging like, they beat TCU, right? And it's another team that I think just plays so well together from one to nine. Like I, I'm I'm looking at the bottom of the lineup and we're watching that TCU game. And you know, everybody talks about Cox and Quinn at the top of the lineup. But the guy who ended up hitting the home run to take the lead against TCU was the nine hitter, Blaze. the second baseman, Blaze Brothers. Sick name. Sick name, sick baseball name. It's just, it's a team that's bullpen has been unbelievable. They have all these funky lefties that just throw even the best hitters off their game, right? We got striking out Wyatt Lankford of all people. Yep. They can hang with anybody, right? Yep. Like they're hanging with Florida right now. It's 5 3. They're hanging with them. They yep. beat TCU. They can beat anybody in, in the entire tournament. So I just wanted to shout out Oral Roberts as just this. You got Florida, who's a juggernaut, facing off against a Cinderella team, and they're just clashing, and it's it's so much fun to watch. No, I mean, everybody's on the the charter with their university logo on the side of the plane, except Oral Roberts. Like, they are the yeah. bus school in the field. It's yeah. a good way to which, put it. Which I really appreciate. You know, it's the high major and the mid major. Regardless of how many games you win, Oral Roberts has a chip on their shoulder because they are not Florida. Gatorade was not invented on their campus. They're not Stanford who is constantly here. They're not LSU, who is running that jello shot place into the fucking ground, man. Uh, my last one is the must-watch television that we've got today. Stanford-Tennessee in an elimination game is going to be a heavyweight fight. It's yep. Chase Dolander, who's going to go top 10 this year, on the hill for Tennessee against Quinn Matthews, mm. a senior for Stanford that threw 156 pitches in a complete game in the Super Regional. So you've got a guy that is willing to have his arm fall off against a top 10 overall talent. And the guy that was considered as the best pitcher in the country before Skeens slapped his dick on the table this year. Yeah. Well said. I mean, you got the ultimate bulldog taking on the preseason phenom. Yeah. And you also got two great offenses too, that are star studded with power. No later's also fucking great. By the way, he yeah, threw he eight is. innings in the super punched out seven on 111 pitches. Yeah, like we're saying, he like we're oh, Quinn Matthews. Oh, first of all, all these guys throwing a hundred. They're, they're all throwing one hundred and ten plus. It's pitches. So cool, it's crazy. It's old fashioned baseball. Yeah, their agents hate grinders. it. Hate agents it. hate it. Who cares? I love it. <laughs> yeah, their agents care. Their parents care. Uh, I, I'm sure all their dads. Also, shout out all the dads. Happy yep. Father's Day out there. I'm sure their dads. They know the future. I can't speak for them. But I'm just imagining if my kid was in this scenario, like I'm not worried about the draft right oh, now. I'm worried about the draft. No, like I'm not. I'm just like this I'm is really worried. And I'm sure like Quinn Matthews, you know, he probably will end up going to the major leagues. I bet he remembers that start over the rest of his starts for the rest of his life. I'm sure you'd have to ask him. But you know, college baseball, like some of your best friends, 
These guys are probably having the time of their lives. They they want to do that. They don't want to come out. They know what's in their future. They don't want to come out. They want to win this for their teams. Yeah, but they want to make their big league debut too. And listen, yeah, but I don't think they're thinking about that right now. Yeah, I really no. don't. In in the heat of the moment, it, between the eighth and ninth inning, they're not thinking about that. I'm with no. you. All right, without full without further ado, Walker Bueller. Week eight with Walker Bueller, and we've got a new magic elixir, old forester statesman. We're going with today. Peter screwed oh, yeah. up and got the different old forester, but. I'm aligned with you, Walker. Where are we? There we are. There we are. This thing looks awesome. Like just before the taste, I'm really excited. Why do you like this thing? Yeah. So to me, this one is uh, just a little bit different. It's it's a it's pretty smooth, but it's also it's kind of got a bigger flavor with without a lot of burn. And and I'm typically not a big old Forester guy, but as you said, it's actually just a pretty cool looking bottle. And um, you know, I think part of part of this whole bourbon thing is like buy things that you think are cool. You're going to like them more kind of deal. So, yeah. um, you know, having bourbon bars and stuff like that is, is obviously become a big deal and, and cool bottles are, are part of that. So, um, yeah, I found this one a couple months ago, basically just off looks and, um, now it's probably one of my favorites. So I, I was told that I screwed up. I got the wrong old forcer, <laughs> but what I will say is I don't think I screwed up in terms of taste because this shit's You're real. a fan. It's yeah. Real. Old- it's they have true. a lot of they have a, a lot of different true. varieties. They do some stuff that you know other companies do. I'm I'm not 100 certain on the the statesman or what that designates, but a lot of the old foresters that look more like that bottle that you got, they have a bunch of different varieties. One I know is called Prohibition style, and they kind of leave some different filtering levels and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, definitely a, a pretty good one. You guys like it? Basically, I, like it. I, I tripped into a winner. That's how I feel. <laughs> there we go. Great. It passes. Yeah, and it passes the eye test. It, it passed the taste test as well. So we're living there. Um, hey, I want to talk. Got a little rye to it is what it is. I think a little bit. Yeah, I can I can taste that. It's not as would more rye mean less like sweetness. Um, I'm typically not a big fan of rye, but kind of in the middle of that taste, you can taste like a little higher note, and that's typically the the rye. Okay. Yes, yeah, Walker. I remember last time we were talking about bourbon and i told you how much i love old fashions now like this feels like a perfect old-fashioned kind of bourbon because it yeah. even has a little bit of that orange or at least it tastes like it to me my uncultured tongue right but it tastes <laughs> no, great i and think initially old- the uh i think initially the old-fashioned was made with rye so that makes a lot of sense okay hey we're gonna talk emmett sheehan with you we're gonna talk father's day with you um and just who you love growing up and then we've been all in on omaha through this front weekend yeah so want to get your feel because you were in Omaha twice and you made it to the final game twice. You had to play three in the championship series in your sophomore and junior year. But first, how about this rookie right-hander made his big league debut on Friday for the Dodgers? Holy shit, dude. Yeah. Six no-hit innings from Sheehan. What did you take away from that thing? It's pretty crazy. You know, I was talking to somebody about it the other day. Number one, it's, it's a really wacky throw. Uh, works really good. Comes out of his hand really good, but it is a little bit funky. And, and I think that'll be something interesting to, to watch going forward. Um, you know, I don't think anyone, you don't luck into much into the major leagues, but not having familiarity with a guy and, and having kind of that funk to it, um, I, I think is definitely beneficial and is going to help him for, for a long time and um, kind of give him that leash to, to figure out the big leagues, which seemingly he, he did at least for a night, right? So, yeah. um, you know, we'll see 
how it continues, but obviously as, as good a start as you could ask for. Can you talk a little bit about his path up to the bigs? Because I think preseason, you know, a lot of people thought it was Bobby Miller and then it's Gavin Stone. And yeah. we knew that the Tulsa Drillers would have this incredible pitching rotation. I don't think anybody thought it would be this good. And Emmett Sheehan was really kind of that top guy. Yeah. Then he gets the call and he doesn't allow a hit. And right. it's not just he didn't allow a hit to the Rockies with all right. due respect. He didn't right. allow a hit to the Royals. This was against a Giants team that is rolling, playing some of the best baseball. And he was the guy among all the Dodgers starting pitchers, six innings, no hits. He looked incredible. Can you kind of talk about his meteoric rise up to the bigs? Yeah. Um, you know, I think every year that goes by, I kind of know less and less about, you know, the the prospects of the guys coming up. Um, but he's, he's not a guy that I was super familiar with, but obviously saw him in camp this year. And, um, yeah, that the angle of the throw to the zone is, is so different. Um, that's probably the first thing I saw in the bullpen from him is just like it's a really interesting look in terms of, uh, you know, we talk about launch angle and hitting that kind of approach angle of the fastball is, is something that's that's very real. And, you know, you think kind of uh, guys off the top, DeGrom is one of those guys, Scherzer is one of those guys that it's really low but has plays up and, Yep. Um, Hater is, is certainly one of those guys as well. So it's kind of that look. And um, he's a he's a big, strong kid. I think he's six five and and put together pretty good. And you know, he made some really big pitches. And and I guess going back to the Giants part of it, like really a, a lot of really good left-handed hitters, right? And so to run through a lineup with a lot of lefties, especially um, you know, one of their strengths is just the matchup stuff and, and players like Jock Peterson that you know, I think platoon is one of those things that's kind of thrown around a little yep. too much these days, but they have really, really talented platoon hitters and, and guys that I've had to face that really hit righties and um, to navigate through it the way he did was, was pretty impressive. Jock is a really interesting one. And I know that, you know, Jock well, but I just want to stick on him for a moment. Cause this was a guy that so many baseball, I guess, fans and people were saying, just give him a shot every day because mm -hmm. he wasn't necessarily getting that 162 type shot. And when we see him over 162, he's an all-star. Like, how yeah. good is Jock Peterson? What does the public not know about Jock? Yeah, it's, I mean, kind of one of those uber-talented guys. I think one of the funniest things that people don't really understand is Jock was a 30-30 guy in AAA. Like, yeah. he can run. And, you know, you, every football season you see the highlights of him and Devontae Adams and they play football together. Jock's just extremely athletic. And, and I think – over the years, maybe his uh, his body shape has changed a little bit, and people don't really realize how athletic he he really is. But um, yeah, being around him a lot, like it's weird to talk about other grown men's bodies, but he's just dense and strong, and um, he's got that twitch, and and he hits some pitches that um, other people don't hit. And maybe next week we can show it. He hit a homer off me in L.A two years ago or last year that was like four inches above the zone and two inches in off the plate. And he pulled it down the line. It was like a, I think it was a fastball or a cutter up in there. It was just other people don't really hit that. And um, yeah, fun, fun dude and, and fun teammate for sure. But I think he's gotten to that point now where it's hard because he's played so many years where he's not getting as many reps against lefties. So even if he was, you know, predominantly way better against righties early in his career, but you know, in his second year, they let him face lefties. Like, you don't have that gap of like, I haven't seen a lefty in four years or whatever. So right. um, obviously probably one of the best guys against right-handed pitching in baseball, but we'll see if he ever kind of gets that chance to, to prove it.
I got a fashion follow up for you real quick. But what do you think of the pearls from him? I was not a fan, but it worked out for him. They're in the Hall of Fame, so it's hard to really say anything about it. Yeah. Okay. So now my fashion question. So you've been quote tweeting Bobby Miller's outfits and we're talking young Dodger right-handers. We're going to get to Omaha in a moment and and Bobby's fit this weekend. You said curious George esque. I went a different route. I said this guy from the fish sticks box. You remember him? You see, I'm not, I don't need any seafood. So the fish sticks are a little foreign to me, but I I, I wouldn't call that seafood fish stick <laughs> but what have you made of bobby's fits so far did you think that was maybe the bottom they're, dweller or was that they're fantastic top? man I, I think they're great obviously um it takes a lot of a special kind of confidence to to wear that i think um i kind of go the opposite I, I wear straight black on my start days with a you know some pair of shoes that i like or whatever so yeah. um i don't quite have the uh the stones to, to pull off some of the stuff that he does but I'm also not 6'4", 240, and, you know, there for a while rocking a sub-1 ERA. So, uh, as long as he pitches good, he can wear whatever he wants. Well, I like your fit right now, rocking the Just Baseball sweatshirt. Yeah, my new merch. I'm merched up. That's fire. I have have one more question about the Giants because I think the Rays do a very similar thing in the American League where they're very platoon heavy. They play matchups, and against lefties, it's almost predominantly a right-handed lineup, and then – you know, against, or you know what I'm saying? It's lefties, righties, they, they play the splits. I mean, we did it for a long time. I was, you yeah. know, the early teams that, that I was a part of were like that as well. Do you guys ever, I'm just curious, do you guys ever feel that you're going a little bit out of your element when you play the Giants? Like, do you feel like sometimes teams play to the Giants' strengths kind of on accident playing those platoon splits? Uh, I mean, I think that's the whole, that's the whole thing, right? It yeah. is, is trying to put guys in, in situations that, you know, they have been successful in and, and have a lot of confidence doing. And so, um, you know, with this three batter minimum and, and things like that, like it's really hard to, to negate some of that stuff. And, um, you know, I think a lot of these things that you wouldn't necessarily think of as pure offensive rules, right? The three batter minimum. Yeah. You're not, you're, you're cutting down the time because you're not having three relievers start you're throwing one, but it also really is an offensive you know, advantage because you can, you know, I think of, we had a guy, Adam Kalerik, who's been up with us this year, who was like the only guy in the world for a while that could get Juan Soto out all the time. And now his job is, is completely different than it used to be. I think Adam could do it against three righties if he needed to. Right. But the, the ability to know that that guy's going to be in there for three hitters is, is a real big, it's, it's a real advantage for, for a manager or an offense and, and something that, I think every team has been on both sides of, and, and it's just part of the game now. Obviously, you know, in 2020, we had Jock and Kike and, and some other guys that we were doing the, the back and forth thing with, and David Freeze before that. And, um, you know, you just, I think thinking back on those teams, like it, it's a big deal because you know that guy's walking up there doing what he does best, right? It, it's not, you know, your closer that has to throw five innings, you never have that, like, he's not prepared for this feel or this thing or this feeling or whatever. And so it, it's a big thing for a team. I remember Jock Peterson leading off games against right-handers in the playoffs. The assumption was that he was going to hit a homer. Like, it's just how it was. And, um, you know, because we had seen him hammer righties for forever. And, and I think team-wise, it's a big confidence thing. I guess the only reason I ask is just relating to basketball too, like those Warriors teams where they would shoot a bunch of threes. You felt that sometimes teams, when they go to play Golden State, they would try and outshoot the mm-hmm. best 
three-point shooting team. So I almost feel like when the Giants and the Rays are rolling, teams are attempting to out-platoon them and almost falling into the trap that they're trying to lay for you. So I'm just curious, kind of the mindset going into that series, where we're going to play our game and we can't try and out-platoon them. Yeah, I mean, I think, number one, that's probably above my pay grade a little bit and, and decisions that I don't really necessarily make, right? But I think you can see how they kind of defend against that organizationally, right? Most of their relievers in Tampa and San Francisco are non-traditional. Yeah. A lot of sidearm, a lot of yeah. low slot. So yeah, the weird Fairbanks thing over the top yeah. short. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's like a subconscious. They, they're they defending against their own strength, right? Like what mm-hmm. would give us problems and, oh, we have a righty coming in, but it's from over here. It's not traditional 90-94 sinker slider reliever, right? So – um, yeah, definitely something both those organizations do a really good job of and um, something that you can tell is is kind of ingrained in, in who they want to be. Walker Bueller, I want to talk Omaha with you because I think a lot of people have, have tuned in to the first couple of games of the College World Series. That was an awesome day one with a couple of late heroics and you had Oral Roberts winning and Florida winning. And then, you know, a lot of people tuned in to the nightcap on day two to watch Skeens and Cruz play who are probably going to go one, two here. And Skeens was awesome through 120 pitches again. Um, You went to Omaha twice, your sophomore year, your junior year. We've talked about that Vandy team that you were on your freshman year. You feel like that might've been the best one, but I I went to Omaha just as a fan in 2016. I want to say the year of Brendan McKay Mm -hmm. uh, when he was at U of L. I mean, what do you remember from just like being a guy, being a competitor that was in Omaha for two weeks. Yeah, it's it, obviously it's it's the biggest stage you're ever going to play on as a college player, right? And so I think that's a first and foremost that it is what it is. It, it's also, um, you know, I think most college coaches are, are probably pretty similar in terms of the intensity. Maybe I bet Corbs is a little more intense than than most guys or 95% of guys. But the the thing about going to Omaha is it's it's actually more of a kind of a celebration in, in terms of we have achieved something already and you play every other day until the championship series. So you get to kind of enjoy when you win and, or take a day off when you lose and, and things like that. And um, not, I wouldn't say it's more of a pro ball setup just because you're not playing every day, but it is a little more of, Hey, we're getting on the buses. We're all at the hotel. We're all together. Kind of that minor league, get on the bus at this time and, and go in and block everything else out. And, um, yeah, I had four outings there. I think I was really good in two of them and really bad in two of them. And, um, you know, I've always kind of believed that the, the big pressure games like that, if you can be really good half the time, you're, that, that's what I always have strived for. I, I don't think you're ever going to be great every time in the playoffs or in Omaha or, or whatever. But um, I, I think these playoff games, you have to go win, right? Nobody's going to, you know, make enough mistakes to give you games, you know, or at least less so than they would maybe in the regular season if you're playing a, a team that's kind of at a different level or or whatever. So, uh, yeah, try and go out and be great. And, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But um, there's a lot of pressure on the, the other side too. And so it's just it's, – it's a different atmosphere. And I remember we played the opening game in 2015 in front of 26,000, I think. And we were like, oh, my God. But, you know, you look at the SEC and, and certain places we play and – the success that the SEC's had, like there is an acclimation to that. It's not that different from going and playing at LSU, which I never got to do, but um, Arkansas was similar that way. South Carolina can really get rocking. 
UT when we played there was like that. There, there's just this thing that if you've never seen that before, it can get a little overwhelmed. Mississippi State, obviously, I don't know how I forgot them, yeah. but um, but that part of it, it I think is exciting to watch these schools like an Oral Roberts that you know is probably you know no offense to them or their fan base, but they probably haven't played in front of more than four or five six thousand people at a time and. And then you walk in there on day one, and you got twenty six thousand people there. It's it's a it's an interesting deal. And we're we're speaking right at the end. I'm watching you know Florida walk the field after they just beat Oral Roberts five to four. So they were hanging with them until the very end. So Jack and I, we're, we had some takes about this College World Series. And when I say I shrug my shoulders and say some takes because some things could come off as controversial. Okay. But one thing that I don't think is very controversial is the fact that I said, I think there is as much talent in Omaha right now as there has been in the past decade in the that, college. That's what I was about to say when you were doing this this build up here. It certainly talk, feels like it. When we talk about LSU, we talk about Florida, like I'm seeing in Wake Forest, who is probably the best of the bunch, we're seeing of the top 10 picks, seven or eight of them we're watching in Omaha right now. Like, can you think back to a time where you've seen more talent in the College World Series than you do now? Um, no, I, I think one interesting caveat to that is that when I was there in 15, we had already had the draft. So yeah. we walked in Omaha already drafted. And so you could quantifiably say, hey, X, Y, Z, this guy was the first pick, Dansby, or the eighth pick, we had former. Um, you know, I think LSU, everyone kind of all year has said it's maybe the most talented college baseball team in ages you know especially the draft wise or, or singularly on one team but um you know our team we had three first round picks on my team and three third rounders and you know we walked in there and we thought we were probably one of the more talented teams there and uh but we beat we lost to virginia that year the year before that we beat virginia they had three of the top 60 picks so i don't think this is abnormal i do think that surprisingly this year, I feel like college baseball, I, I know more of the players. I, I don't know if there's a marketing thing going on or my algorithm or, or what it is, but I feel like I'm seeing a little bit more of, of these college players. And, and maybe it's just the kind of generational talent that, that we think is out there in, in Omaha this year in terms of schemes and crews and the kid from Florida, the two kids from Florida, I guess. And um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a fun time for college baseball and, and should be a pretty cool world series. The, the thing that I loved watching the College World Series growing up was it was always post-draft pretty much until, what, 2020, right? I think that was the first year that it wasn't post-draft. But that was almost your primer into who the next wave of prospects were going to be because right. we saw, hey, this kid was a third-round pick by the Mets and he's playing for Coastal now. He's the shortstop. So yeah. you can almost directly quantify, hey, that kid's good. I'm going to watch him. But yeah. I'm with you. Like I feel like I, I don't need to do much – fishing to find out who the, the possible big leaguers are on the field right yeah. now. And that might just be a marketing thing with college ball, but right. you, you I, were on those I teams. Also, I also kind of, I don't know if I like it or not, but there is some pros and cons to it, right? Like if the Dodgers just drafted me to go and throw 126, like Paul Skeens just did is a different animal, right? Yeah. Than if I haven't been drafted yet. So it, I almost like the, that we used to have the draft because then it was like, okay, cool. You all have two weeks, go win for your team, go win for your school, whatever, as opposed to this, 
I, I could go, I, coach, I think I could throw one more, but my agent doesn't want me to because we got the draft next week. Um, and, and there's an element of you want to see these guys. And in, in, I'll tell you, being in a college clubhouse or whatever you want to call it, it, it's probably the closest group of, of guys you're going to play with at, at that moment, right? And so the ability for him to say, no, I want the ball or, or go throw another inning or – wear a pitch intentionally and late in the game, like all of that kind of stuff is is really cool. Especially when you know, everything's done, right? Like I've been drafted. I haven't signed yet, but I could go, I I could get shelled and and I'm still drafted already. And so I think that that's something that there's pros and cons on both sides of it. And and I don't even know which one I would prefer. I just know that it's different than, than when I was there. Jack, I really want you to ask him about, your Paul Skeens take. No, I mean, so here's my thing. Like you watch Skeens, you're enamored with Skeens. And my thought was, I feel like this guy could get outs in the bigs now with that. I know it's, it's a little crazy, but like, (laughs) I mean, you you watch the pitch mix, you see sitting 100.7 with that sinker and then he's throwing 120 pitches and he's snapping off this crazy slider and this changeup. And, And the way that I put it was, you know, like there are so many similarities between what he does and what Hunter Green does. And there's so much more maturation that happens in pro ball. And he's seeing college kids, Hunter Green seeing big league kids. But where do you feel like the big difference is right now if Skeens is dropped into Hunter Green's shoes? Um, Well, first off, I think as sad as this is to answer that question, like I think on the surface, it's pretty easy to, oh, it's 100. Oh, it's a slider. Oh, it's like, I don't, I haven't seen any of the data, right? So I don't want to kind of speak out of turn. If that hundred is 15 and four, like it's probably not going to be that good in the major leagues. If, yeah. if it's 21 and seven, whatever, you know, if it's an outlier number, then yeah, probably could work. I, I don't think, I don't think command wise, people really understand how much bigger the college zone is. Yeah. Um, I, I just haven't watched enough of them. I know he throws strikes and, because he's getting deep into games and punching guys out and, and doing all the right things. He doesn't seem to walk a ton of guys. Um, I don't know. I think the other underappreciated thing is that the ball is significantly different, right? So whatever Same ball he's thing. throwing is a legitimately different animal um, than what he would throw in, in the major leagues. And that takes adjustment. You see, you know, the guys come over from Asia and they have a different ball and it takes them sometimes a little while to, kind of do exactly what they used to do in, you know, before they got to the States. And um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's a fun thing to kind of think about. I I definitely, it would not surprise me if whatever team uh, drafted him, say they were in playoff contention, had him in the bullpen or something like that. Yeah. Um, But obviously most teams that have the number one pick aren't going to make the playoffs. So um you know, we'll see your number two pick or, or whatever it's going to be. So, you know, I, I think a lot of, I think Carson Fulmer was the last example of that, at least for me. And, and really personally, like I, I thought he could have gone straight to the major leagues and, and been okay. I guess who's the last guy that probably that was kind of straight Mike Leak Is he probably the last guy? Well, Leak was, yeah. I mean, weird COVID situation, but crochet was that guy too. In yeah, weather, well, the craziest one is weather Casey weathers. Yeah. Debut or not Casey. What's his name? Ryan. He's Ryan Casey Weathers was the veiny guy. No, Ryan Weathers oh, debuted yeah. against us in the playoffs, but he was a high school pick. So he had only been in Pro Bowl for like a year or something. 
he was in low A. He was in Fort Wayne before that. I think his last yeah. stop was low A, and then he just bumped up. Crazy. So I'm yeah. also I'm just curious too because you know Skeens is getting a lot of the attention, Dylan Cruz, and deservedly so. But there's again so much talent that we talk about. Like my favorite players to watch right now in this culture world series has been this Florida pitching staff from Hurston Walter, yeah. Brandon Sprout. Who has been your favorite player to watch in Omaha so far? Um, I haven't watched a ton of it to be honest with you. It, it's hard for me to college baseball's gotten harder and harder for me to watch just completely, yeah, you know, objectively. Like we celebrated, we did all this stuff, but with some of their stuff they're doing now, I feel like is a little bit different than what we did. It may not have been, I don't know. You know, we were idiots too, but <laughs> uh, I'm just used to it being a certain way and um screaming when it's game tying or you know scary situations not in the first and, and things like that and um i didn't really like guys that did that when i was in college anyway so um i, I think the i guess the biggest thing is if you see me scream that means at one point in that inning i was a little scared so i think that's like the point everyone in omaha seems like terrified but in in the best way possible that's when right. all the emotions are coming out and for me that's what makes it so so exciting yeah no, I'll, I'll watch a, I'll watch a final some or um, probably if, if there's two of the big boys starting pitchers, I'll watch a little bit of it or, or watch it when it's on TV. But um, for the most part, we, we kind of watch the Dodgers around here and, and that's it. I Especially totally if, if Vandy was out there, it would be a different, different story. I totally understand that. Um, I, I know you watched a lot of ball in your formative years, man. And, and we're talking to you on Father's Day evening. Yesterday was Father's Day. Um, though you probably watched, watched a lot of ball with, with Pops. So before we jump into change-ups here, you know, just curious what, what your first memories of baseball with your dad was and, you know, maybe some of the guys that really got you to fall in love with this game. Because I think everybody listening has those one or two guys that made them fall in love with baseball. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up a big, big Reds fan. My dad was from Cincy, and he went to a school called Anderson High School. Um, they used to play a school called Moeller that had a guy named Ken Griffey Jr. on that team at the time. So solid. Um, yeah. So they, we just, I grew up a big Reds fan and my dad lived in Cincy, um, most of my life in, until I went to college and his office actually is right across the, the little highway downtown Cincy. So we could literally see the whole field from my dad's office. And so we'd go and, and watch games up there or go to the game and whatnot. So, um, I think through that, I, you know, Aaron, when I was growing up, it was Aaron Harang, yeah. Cueto early, Volquez early, Matt Latos, I really liked watching. Yeah. Um, How about that fight he got in, in the Atlantic League? Do you remember him rocking the, the shit out of somebody? I got to meet him. He's, a, he's an interesting cat. I love that. Um, but then the fifth on that team was Bronson Arroyo, who I don't know if you guys remember at the end of his career, he was with Atlanta, I think, and then got traded to us. So when I had Tommy John surgery, the first time it literally was me and Bronson for five months. Me and him were the only two guys there rehabbing. Wow. So I got to know Bronson really well. And it was, it was just cool because he was a red my whole life growing up and, and then was with us when I was rehabbing. And um, we might want to put a link on this in the world. When we won the world series the next year, they asked us this question, who was your favorite player growing up? And so it, I just knew, I kind of asked them why and knew what was going to happen. So they, they came on and congratulated us for winning the World Series. So I had Bronson do mine, and he he like sang a song on the you know scoreboard or jumbotron or whatever. But and I started that game, so I didn't really get to see it. I didn't know what it was until after the game. 
but it was pretty funny. And, so, and he and I have stayed in touch. He's one of my favorite people. I was going to say, he. did you guys have jam sessions? Because he is super musically inclined. He's a yeah. really good guitarist. Yeah, so I remember we played in Cincinnati at the end of 2021, and my – it was a really weird weekend, especially to happen in Cincinnati. It was Oktoberfest, which is a huge deal there. Yeah. Then I'm decent buddies with a guy named Brett Eldridge who had a concert there. And then Theo Vaughn had a comedy show the next night. And Theo's a really good buddy of mine. So after the games, I was going and doing those things. And I told Bronson to come to the Theo show with me. So he had a concert, left his concert, finished his concert, came over, and we hung out with Theo and his little crew and stuff. So um he developed some weird relationships along the way of this but yeah for i mean going back to it being father's day and stuff obviously my dad was a, was a big part of it and, and we lived in in different places so um wasn't around kind of the daily thing and, and my grandfather was a big part of that and uh it's kind of cool i talked to a guy who who works with tom house some and my grandfather bought all the tom house vhs's that was kind of the basis of me learning how to throw a baseball and um, so it looks like here in a couple of weeks, I might get to meet him and, and work with him a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's funny how, how all this stuff kind of comes full circle and that's yeah, pretty cool. It's, it's so cool. funny hearing you talk about Bronson Royal. Cause of course, after the fact, like I have a lot of respect for Bronson Royal because of just the career he had, but I grew up a Yankee fan. And as I think I was eight years old watching the Boston Red Sox with Bronson Royal and Keith yeah. Folk and Pedro's. I hated mm -hmm. all of them. I hated them <laughs> to death. I, I wanted all of them off the planet because they ruined they ruined my Yankees. Uh, so shout out Bronson Royal. That was you know awesome. he threw eight he threw two hundred innings eight straight years. No way. He's like he's not a big guy either, right? Is he sub six foot? You know what's funny? No, no. Bronson's a decent height. He's skin, he's kind of built like me. He's Skinny. probably two inches tall. I bet he's six three. Okay, but yeah, the funniest lovely. thing about. The funniest thing about Bronson is that his, I think his dad was a power lifter or bodybuilder. <laughs> like that. Bronson told me he started squatting at six. That's got to so, screw you up. Well, yeah. here's my favorite Bronson story. It kind of sums him up, right? So when he, when he would start his workout, he would get on the leg press machine and sit with his knees like up against his chest with 700 pounds and just stretch like that for 10 minutes. And then rep it, and then he would do his workout. And that was, like, the only heavy thing he did, but he has been doing that his whole life, apparently. And we we listened to, uh, what's the album called? The Pearl Jam, the big famous Pearl Jam album. One or something like that. Yeah. We listened to that album every day in order for three or four months straight. No way. Did you know every word? By the end, I didn't know a single one going into it, but that was that was what he did and that was his routine. And, and we listened to the one album every day in order for three and a half months or four months. Dude. Was it 10? Was that the ten. name of the album? Not one. Yeah. 10. 10. Yeah. That was their first album. I think that's really cool, man. But he'd be walking around singing it in the corners and stuff like interesting dude. One of my favorite, but interesting dude. Awesome visit with Walker per usual real quick before we go. I've got some sound I want to play for you, and I want your reaction. Tennessee, LSU, Paul Skeens on the hill, top of the seventh inning. Mike Monaco, Chris Burke, and Kyle Peterson have been an excellent trio with Chris Budden um, as the field reporter. I mean, that 
four has been awesome calling these night games. They had Skeens' start against Tennessee, and this was a story. I've heard excellent things about Paul Skeens. He was an Air Force transfer like this guy has Air Force a meticulous nature. His day-to-day is very military. It's I'm going to work harder than you. Okay. Talking about the work ethic of Paul Skeens, Kate Belosa was sharing with us that Skeens goes around the locker room looking at teammates, pointing at him and saying, I outworked you. I outworked you. I outworked you. Pretty much every single day, Belosa told us. He said, well, is it like funny? And guys are laughing about it. He said, no, he's not joking. He works that hard. But it is still kind of funny. Yeah, like, it it's funny, but it's true. And Skeens can pull it off because he's just that kind of dude. I love that it's because slicing. it feels it feels Michael Jordan-esque. But I don't love it. Huh. That's why I wanted to have this conversation. Interesting. Why? I love everything else about Paul Skeens. I love how hard he works. I love that he is, you know, I like I'm not a church every Sunday guy. I love that he's a church every Sunday guy. Like that's that's something that he values highly. Um, I, I love how pretty much like he passes the makeup test with flying colors, but I don't like that story because imagine you are somebody else in that LSU locker room and you've got a teammate that points at you and says, I work harder than you. How does that make you feel? This is how I took it. If I'm Paul Skeens' teammate, cause that ain't just any other player out there, right? I That's know. Paul motherfucking Skeens. That dude is the fucking man. He earned his way to get here. And he's going up to me and said, I work harder than you. I think that's motivational. That's the way I took it, where it's like, I am work harder than you. If you want to get to where I'm at right now, you got to outwork me. And I think he's almost motivating his teammates to work harder. If I was on that team, if I was in the LSU dugout, and I'm the third pitcher, I'm a bullpen guy, and Paul Skeen's throwing 101 miles an hour, comes out after a great start. He's like, I'm working harder than you. I'll be like, I'm going to work harder than you. And I'm going to be that guy. Like, that's how I would take it if I was on LSU. I would not take it personally because I don't think that Skeen's means it personally. So, I think he means it motivationally. So, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I, and I can totally appreciate that angle. My thing is, these guys are playing in the SEC. These guys have worked their asses off since they were five years old to play at LSU. They work really hard. He's in the locker room with a lot of first-rounders that work incredibly hard, that have gone through early mornings. Sure, Paul Skeens may wake up 30 minutes before them on a daily basis. But if I've worked my ass off and I have sacrificed a lot of things to get really fucking good at baseball and go to LSU and play baseball. And I've got a teammate that looks at me and says, I work harder than you. That doesn't make me feel good. I don't think Skeens cares. And I think yeah. he's using it like, like nobody liked Michael Jordan when they were playing with him. Like some of these guys, I feel like just have this killer mentality where it's like, I'm so competitive and all I want to do is dominate everyone on the field i want to prove that i'm better and i i personally i guess i understand where you're coming from i get it because it can be taken depending on how schemes means it right because i'm giving him the benefit of the doubt yeah i'm and giving I'm not. Him, and you're not so i'm it's probably somewhere way, in the middle exactly it might be somewhere in the middle it'd be interesting to hear how like a dylan cruz takes it right yeah. like I when they're in that. the big leagues 
I bet he's going to get that question. Like, how did, how did you think Trey Morgan, another guy, Tommy tanks, they're all incredible players. They're all going to be drafted within the first couple of rounds. Like, how did you take it? Thatcher Ward, guys like that. How, how did you take it? It'd be interesting to hear all what they say. Cause maybe a guy like Dylan Cruz takes it really well. He's like, yeah, it just motivated me to play it better. Maybe a Trey Morgan or a Tommy Tanks or someone else, not saying that they're any worse of players. Maybe they say, yeah, I actually hated schemes. It'll be interesting to see how they take it. My guess is whenever they're answered questions about it, they're going to be like, it motivated us. Yeah. But we'll see. Time will tell. But regardless, I think it will help him in the future. I just wanted to open up that dialogue. So I, I want the I want you guys listening to hit us back and let us know how you interpreted it. Um, yeah. I just wanted to get that out there. So Peter, take us out. Yes, absolutely. So the Just Baseball show is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use promo code Just Baseball when you sign up. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 plus or older. The best way to support the Just Baseball show is to get your Just Baseball merch. I got my hat on. You can get yours in the episode description. We saw a lot of people tagging us in, in photos saying they got their fathers a present for Father's Day. We greatly appreciate that. But if you don't want to spend a dime, we totally understand if you can rate and review this podcast five stars whether that be on spotify or on apple podcasts and then of course if you're watching on youtube hit that subscribe button and comment what you thought about the skiing situation and of course all the great walker bueller stuff and with that thank you everybody